Hello everybody, I'm Dave Yost and this is Okay, Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong. I want to apologize for the delay on, the, on this latest episode. I've been lining up guests and had to uh, reschedule a few recording sessions, which has put me a little behind. I promise this won't be the norm. Uh, for this episode though, I wanted to do something a little different. Normally I would have a guest on and we would talk about a specific topic. Today, I want, to, I want to drill down into an article <clears throat> that I read recently and use it to go on a little bit of a rant about the broader idea of economics in general. You see, I've noticed what I consider to be a disturbing trend when it comes to the, the basic ideas behind economics and specifically, specifically capitalism. I can't quite pinpoint exactly when this trend started. Though now that I mention it, tracking it would make for a fascinating research paper. Okay, I need you all to promise me not to steal that idea from me, okay? I'm calling dips. Anyway, it's entirely possible that the behavior in this trend has always existed. But I will say that, seem, that, that I seem to notice it more lately. What I'm talking about is the idea that in capitalism, the greater benefit of the economic system should always go to the firms within the marketplace. What I mean by that is, somewhere along the line, we seem to have been tricked into believing that businesses need to be protected at all costs from market forces, lest they collapse. Now, everyone can agree that businesses are, businesses are crucial to the economy, and this is by no means going to be some sort of anti-corporate rant. Where I object to what seems to be the prevailing wisdom is that protecting firms from market forces is actually antithetical to the very foundations of capitalism. Capitalism by its nature is meant to be a cruel meat grinder for firms, weeding out the inefficient and allowing those that offer a superior product to rise to the top. Uh, in, in the show uh, Parks and Recreation, the character Ron Swanson describes capitalism as a way of determining who is smart and who is poor. Now, that's a fantastic line, but I think most people would hear that and think it should be meant to describe people, consumers. The truth of that description actually exists in reference to businesses. A capitalist system works because... When working properly, it encourages dynamic innovation on the part of firms within a market, specifically targeted at meeting the demands of consumers in the market. Basically speaking, the consumer should always be the prime beneficiary of the system because consumer demand is what drives the whole thing. This leaves firms to constantly try to improve their product and lower their prices in order to entice consumers to buy their wares uh, over the other firms in the market. The businesses that are able to do this succeed, the ones that can't die, and the consumer is made better off for it. That's capitalism. Somewhere though, a culture of victimhood seems to have crept into the business narrative. Complaints abound that new, 
more dynamic members of the market are stealing market share away from the less willing to adapt firms. And this is somehow bad for consumers. Uh, what it really is, is firms who once had a mousetrap business model are now being challenged. And rather than accept that they must adapt, they're trying to squash those newer competitors through other means. To explain that phrase as I meant it, the, the mousetrap refers to, well, an actual mousetrap. Because it's said that you can't build a better mousetrap. A, a standard mousetrap is simple, efficient, effective, and cheap. Hitting that upward limit of innovation is great for a business because at that point you no longer need to invest in research and development. All you need to do is sit back and pump out mousetraps. It doesn't require any kind of dynamism. Uh, all you need to do is figure out demand and, and meet it with supply. And then sit back and watch your profits roll in. It's every businessman's or businesswoman's dream. The problem with that is that most things aren't mousetraps. In fact, even mousetraps aren't mousetraps because there are currently several options for mousetraps on the shelves. There's always room for innovation. Or, at the very least, responses to consumer demand. <laughs> The way corporations talk these days, you would think that wasn't the case. The, they talk about consumers being to blame for drops in sales and lower quarterly earnings. <laughs> this is patently ridiculous. Consumers, specifically consumer demand, drives the economy. Shifts in consumer demand are never wrong because the old adage is true that the consumer is always right. To use an example, the, the, the basis for this rant started when, when I read an article written by Kate Taylor in the Business Insider from June 3rd of this year. The title of the article was, Millennials are Killing Chains Like Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's. Now, right off the bat, I got a little bit of a record scratch moment. For my younger listeners, a record was a big vinyl disc that you would play with a needle that could be scratched. They were kind of like CDs. For my much younger listeners, a CD was a smaller disc. You know what, never mind. Ask your parents about it. My point being that the title already had me weary of the content. I find generational bashing to be incredibly annoying and an unproductive form of analysis. The fact of the matter is that every generation in the history of mankind thought that the next generation was lazy and worthless and going to lead to the other utter ruination of mankind. I'm not sure why that's the case, especially because I think most people would agree that they want to give their children a better life than they had themselves, yet when that better, easier life is achieved, rather than revel in their success, the parents of those children seem to want to blast their kids for being soft. Full disclosure, depending on where you think the dividing line between the generations is, I am either the very tail end of Generation X or the very first wave of Millennials. It's weird, and frankly I don't really care to associate with either label, but I just thought I'd put that out there. So... Pointless generation bashing in an attempt to lure older readers to clicking on your article in order to achieve some sort of 
hollow sense of superiority over the kids these days aside, I want to go through Kate Taylor's article and, and offer a bit of a critique, not, not so much of the content, which, which is adequately researched, but, the, but more the bent that she takes on this made-up crisis. I suppose that this is where the podcast really earns its name, because her take on this non-issue is very much wrong. So I'd like to go through the article and unpack it piece by piece. I will be using selected excerpts rather than reading the whole article. So if you're wondering if I'm being fair to Miss Taylor's argument, I would suggest that you give the article a read for yourselves first. The article starts off with the line, Casual dining is in danger and millennials are to blame. So right there, we start off on a bad foot because Ms. Taylor is buying into the fundamental misunderstanding of free market economics. Consumers are never to blame for, fa- for a failing market. If anyone's to blame, it's the firms within the market for not properly responding to the demands of the consumer. But we'll get into that, in f- that further in the rest of the article. She goes on to say, Brands such as TGI Fridays, Ruby Tuesday, and Applebee's have faced sales slumps and dozens of restaurant closures as casual dining chains have uh, struggled to attract customers and increase sales. Again, the article lays this out to the point uh, to point the blame at millennials. Uh, failing to acknowledge that if sales are in a slump, it's probably because the firms within the market are offering inferior products. Once again, in the interest of full disclosure, I have to admit that personally I do not frequent these restaurants because honestly, I don't think their food is that good. Again, that's just my opinion, but to the point these establishments don't offer me what I want from a restaurant, so I choose not to give them my money, and apparently I'm not alone in that. Instead of viewing this as some sort of unfair attack on businesses, I think the more appropriate analysis is that preferences are changing, and these establishments are failing to keep up with the times. In that view of the issue, we can stop falsely blaming consumers and start actually assigning responsibility. The article then goes on to quote Buffalo Wild Wings CEO Sally Smith, who had commented that, Casual dining restaurants face a uniquely challenging market today. Millennial consumers are more attracted than their elders to cooking at home, ordering delivery from restaurants, and eating quickly in fast casual or quick serve restaurants. Now, in the article, this is framed as some sort of deficiency on the part of millennial consumers, but it's not a deficiency, it's a consumer preference. Clearly, millennial consumers prefer quality, the, the, the quality that comes from home cooking, or in lieu of that, they either want their food quickly or they want it delivered. I think that if you consider those as consumer demands, you wouldn't find any of them to be unreasonable. They are simply what the millennial consumers want. And... The, the problem is that casual dining establishments do not offer any of those things. So why would consumers, with that set of consumer demands, 
spend money at businesses that do not meet their demands, especially when there are other firms in the market that will. The article actually cites several sectors that are responding to such consumer demands, like grocery chains and meal delivery kits. These options are made out to be, but they're not encroaching on the business of casual dining. What they're doing is they're offering what consumers want and thus reaping the rewards. Ms. Taylor goes on to cite that <clears throat> the only sector of casual dining that is growing is off-premise or delivery options, but according to her, there's a problem. She writes that while delivery is a compelling option to offer, it isn't a simple service for a restaurant to add. Well, yeah, remaining competitive in that marketplace is not simple. It's a strenuous effort that ensures that the firms that undertake it will succeed and the ones that don't will fail. It's how the market rewards firms for meeting the demands of their consumers and punishes firms that don't. She points out that fast casual dining chains have been seeing a spike in sales, uh, actually referring to them as, quote, more convenient chains, end quote. While still failing to notice that with that phrase, she, she's really hit the nail on the head. More convenient is just another way of saying chains that offer better product. Which begs the question of, why are we bemoaning the fact that firms offering a better product are taking business away from firms that aren't? Isn't that exactly how the system is supposed to work? Miss Taylor then states that the growth of fast casual changes, such as Chipotle and Panera, have been especially harmful. These chains can offer lower prices to millennial consumers who are less enthused about spending money just for the experience of sitting in a booth at a casual dining joint. Ugh. So much to unpack here. First of all, harmful is a loaded word that really has no place in this discussion. Harmful implies that casual dining establishments are somehow the victims of something other than their own refusal to adapt to a changing marketplace. Second, fast casual chains offer lower prices to all consumers, not just millennial consumers. And why is that framed as a bad thing? Or at least framed as some sort of unfair tactic used against casual dining? Firms in competition with each other are supposed to be engaged in a race to the bottom when it comes to price. If a firm does not want to lower their price, then its only other option is to improve quality so that consumers become willing to pay uh, that higher price for their product. Low quality and high price is a recipe for going out of business, not a quaint practice that needs to be preserved. Finally, if millennials are unenthused about spending more money for the experience of sitting in a booth, maybe that says more about the service that casual dining has to offer than it does about millennial consumers. Maybe most people don't want to sit in a restaurant with kitschy items on the wall. If that's the case, then 
Casual dining restaurants need to address their own business model, rather than blame consumers for not wanting what they have to offer. One last excerpt before uh, I stop beating this dead horse, and only because I think it perfectly demonstrates a tendency within the business community to, to so often look at a problem and take completely the wrong lessons from it. I think that this usually happens because it's a kind of defense mechanism that allows people to create a more palatable explanation so that they can avoid harder truths of the world. Paraphrasing comments by Sally Smith, Miss Taylor writes, Trends aside, when Smith says millennials' tastes differ from what casual dining chains can offer, she's avoiding a blunter statement. Casual dining brands just aren't cool anymore. Again, wow. <laughs> the, the problems that casual dining chains are having are not problems of branding. They're problems that arise when you are offering something that consumers don't want. Casual dining can change its business practices to meet demand, or they can try to pivot to a different sector of the marketplace, or they can slowly die and be replaced by more dynamic firms. Summing up the problem as a matter of not being cool, Cass, uh, one of Cass' aspersions towards the flighty tastes of millennials, and if subscribed to, w would lead casual dining firms to kind of doubled down on their own deficiencies by expending money and effort to simply rebrand themselves as cool, rather than accept that they need to bend to what consumers want. Again, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether I'm being fair to Kate Taylor's arguments or if you think I'm reading too much into them. As I said when I started the topic, the article just seemed to perfectly capture this false idea that, that really too many people have these days about who the prime beneficiary of a free market is supposed to be and what the point of competition is. I've been in conversations where the people I was talking to, smart people, have mourned the loss of chains like Borders books and laid the blame at the, uh, at the feet of Amazon.com, while failing to acknowledge that Amazon drove borders out of business not through trickery or deceit, but because they offered a better product. Amazon had the ability to provide greater selection at a lower price. And, and isn't that exactly what we as consumers want? If new innovations or changing tastes or whatever are affecting a market, the savvy firms in the market will adapt, and the less savvy firms will crumble and be replaced by better options. That's capitalism. That's sorting out which businesses are smart and which businesses are poor. As consumers, we, we need to stop pushing back against these market forces just because it means that businesses that we were used to being successful aren't anymore, that, that businesses that we were used to being around go away. That is, that is a market doing what it's supposed to do. The fact of the matter is that capitalism 
is as successful as it is as an economic system because it is a harsh and Darwinian environment. In the past, I've, I've been uh, called out for for taking what uh, some some might say is um, undue delight in watching the economic equivalent of survival of the fittest play itself out amongst firms in a market. And I've always responded to that that accusation with with the idea that uh, yes, I do enjoy it because to me. It's proof that the system works, that economics will play out the way that it's supposed to. It's not about Schadenfreude. It's about it, it, it's not about wishing bad things upon any firm or firms in a marketplace. It's about observing the fact that consumer demand drives markets, and any firm that refuses to accept that will soon go the way of the dodo. So I hope you enjoyed this departure from our usual format. If you didn't, don't worry. In upcoming episodes, we'll get away from my rantings and get back to interviewing other economists. I've got a few interesting guests confirmed, and uh, I, uh, I really just need to find the right point in our schedules to sit down and record. I'm uh, fairly confident that there won't be any delays in the near future, and again, I do apologize for, for missing my usual deadline last week. Uh, as always, I'd like to invite you to join the OK Let Me Tell You Why You're Wrong group on Facebook. And once you do, feel free to leave comments on our episodes or suggest topics for future episodes. Uh, as with all podcasts, one of the most important things you can do is to spread the word. Uh, if you like what I'm doing here, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, and before you think that I'm asking for reviews from a place of narcissism, uh, let me point out that the, the ratings and reviews are, are really how this podcast gets bumped up higher in the iTunes uh, search options, which means it's more likely that new listeners will see it. Plus, crippling narcissism. But, you know, whatever. Uh, of course, uh, the biggest thing you can do, of course, is to uh, recommend this podcast to other people that you know that might, uh, might be interested. Uh, as always... Uh, thanks for listening, and this has been OK. Let me tell you why you're wrong.